and welcome to Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made for Kansas City fans by Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside my good friends, Kyle and Armando, it's season two, baby. Season two. It's season two. And you know what that means. It means we're talking baseball. Reese is taking his shirt off on live TV. (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude. This just popping this off. I'm taking my shirt off. I'm going to live life, do things, YOLO, and just yeet. You know, yeet to live, live to yeet. I got to tell you guys, it's going to yeet. It's about 55 degrees here in Des Moines today. And uh, oh wow! I uh, I got the road bike out for the first time because we got a ton of snow and ice like repetitively over this horrible, super cold weather over the past month or so. So it's taken a long time for it to truly melt. And then especially on a lot of the like amazing bike trails that have kind of been developed. Similarly to Kansas City, a lot of great infrastructure has gone in over the past, uh, you know, five to ten years. Uh, they're finally kind of rideable on like a real road bike and not a you know, fat tire or anything like that. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I got the, I got the spring training broadcast going Lefebvre, the two Steve's just like, Oh, it was so good. It's, Oh man. I just no feeling like that where there's like still the nip of winter, but it's just like spring is around the corner. I understand. It's a wonderful feeling, and we're kind of experiencing the same thing in Kansas City right now. It's hard to believe that, what was it, even a week, maybe two weeks ago, we had that polar vortex of doom where it just got like negative 15 degrees down in Kansas City even. That's uh, that's not fun. Did but, you get the uh, warning for the uh, tornado? Did you get that fake tornado warning today, Reese? Yeah. Yeah, what that, was like, up with the fake it, tornado warning? It wasn't warning? clear that it was fake. <laughs> That was scary. So, yeah, so it was like supposed to be a drill and it was announced to be a drill. But then everyone got a text saying that it was not a drill or or that it was like a tornado warning. But normally they put in like the text. This is a drill and they didn't put it in there. So everyone was like, uh, it's not Wednesday. This is not good. Did you get that out in Colorado, too? No, I just saw a bunch of people post on Facebook. Yeah, no, that that happened this morning right around 9 a.m. And I looked outside and the sky was like crystal blue and I looked at my weather forecast and it's like it will be crystal blue all day and I'm just like someone's full of but it here you National. also might die now see here is <laughs> yeah. where critical thinking skills come in handy yeah exactly <laughs> like you can't just post every meme you see on Facebook about a Joe Kutchner novel you know predicting COVID-19 back in 1980 something Joe Kutchner haven't heard that one What's it? What's his? What's his name? Yeah, no, that, even... that that flew right through. Oh, my head. hold on. Maybe it's Jack Kutchner. You know how Reese right, is whatever. with names, only the most accurate. Dude, super like <laughs> the, oh, the most. It was Ashton Kutcher on Punk season three? Oh yeah, excuse it me. It turns out it was just like Dan Brown. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, dude. I love the uh, angels, angels and demons. Page four. I love the Galileo code. <laughs> I love the Raphael code. <laughs> the Donatello. Oh, wait. Which Ninja <laughs> Turtle was it? I forget. That's a cheap joke, but I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, man. So, as I have an approximate with all names, uh, it is now approximately spring. First week of March. Things are melting, and that means it's time for spring training baseball. And as I alluded to, and as we alluded to last week, uh, it is now season two of Fountain City Sports Media. And I just want to give you guys a heads up for what we're going to be focusing on going forward here. So the Chiefs season is done. Royals and Sporting Kansas City is new best friends. So 
I will be taking the position of host for Kansas City Royals broadcasts, and our good friend Kyle, a.k.a. the Oracle of 39th Street, will be heading Sporting Kansas City and World Cup qualifying episodes. Get ready for some excitement and uh, some different topics of discussion. We will be doing some draft uh, previews and and Kansas City Chiefs episodes closer to the drafts, but for now, baby, you're going to be seeing Fifty Shades of Blue. Some other things coming up in the next few months. We will be going back to be doing some live streams. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting our live streams. We've had just our cup runneth over level turnouts with those better than we could have hoped. We do have a few scheduled right now. You can count on us doing a Royals opening day live stream on Thursday, April 1st. That's going to take place later in the evening, probably closer to 9 p.m. Central Time. And we're going to recap the Kansas City Royals opening day outing. Subsequently, if Sporting Kansas City ever gets around to it, Kyle will be hosting the Sporting Kansas City live stream on opening day, which, according to MLS, is going to happen like two or three days after baseball. So get ready for a, a live stream doubleheader. I'm thinking mid-April at this point. I'm I'm hopeful for mid-April. We'll see how things go. Yeah, knocking on wood. We still haven't seen our Sporting Kansas City kits yet. Where are they? I want my kits, Kyle. Yeah, I know, right? Although uh, for, Formula One uh, liveries are starting to come out this month, and that's looking fire. But, uh, you know, that's for down the line. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, one more live stream coming up in the month of April. We will be doing a Kansas City Chiefs-themed opening night of the NFL Draft stream on Thursday, April 29th. So Chiefs are picking 31st in that draft. Hopefully we don't wait the whole way just to have them like trade back at the last second. It's like, surprise, you don't have a pick to discuss tonight, a yuck yuck. We're going to be calling in some of our friends, some of our Eagles correspondents, Buffalo Mike, hopefully will make another appearance. If you'll if you'll come on the cast and oh, uh, Bears will. correspondence, it's it's going to be a great great long fun stream. Uh, also going forward, we are going to have increased focus on beer in the podcast. Uh, starting next week, we're going to have a this week in beer segment called Tapping the Keg or some other name TBA. If you guys have any feelings on what you want it to be called, feel free to let us know at Fountain City SM. We're going to have increased interviews with industry professionals. That includes brewers, sales team members, and other professionals in the beer industry. And also, continued beer reviews. You should check out our untapped profile at Fountain City SM, where every beer review we do is going to get condensed and wind up on untapped. So you can see what we're drinking, how we rate things, and like we said, everything's back on the table. This is... This is Beer Review Remix Volume 2, the remixing. That has amazing potential to be a triangulation of the taste of all three of us. That I I, I mean, I can just imagine that going in hilarious ways <laughs> from like a statistical perspective where it's like, oh, yeah, like this is generally the way we feel about like hazy IPAs. And then I just go off the rails and like review one of them, like tens all across the board. But somehow, like aroma is a four. It's just, and it's just just throws off the whole algorithm. <laughs> and it and it wasn't a hazy IPA. It was a, <laughs> yeah, it was right. A it was Platinum. just like a course. <laughs> oh jeez. I mean, as the punter in the group, it would make sense. As the Tommy Townsend of the group. Ah, oh, sorry, Tommy. Oh my gosh. Oh, poor Tommy. Poor Tommy, indeed. I hope Tommy's doing okay, buddy. I hope you're doing all right out there. 
Tommy's doing just fine to oh, the tune of multi-hundred thousands fine. of dollars a year. <laughs> yes, there it is. He just had one bad game. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. I still can't believe it. Okay, I know we said we're done talking, Chiefs. I still can't believe it. As he takes out his, as he takes out his Tommy Townsend like jersey. Yeah, it's my bad. I still can't like, believe, like fake Tommy wig. He boffs the snap, catches it, picks it up, crushes it like fifty-seven <laughs> yards in the air, and then the next snap when they have to redo it, he like shanks it for fifteen yards. Like Tommy. Dog, Nerves, come dude. on, man. Nerves. Ugh, I feel like not stonks. Dustin, Dustin, Dustin Colquitt was breathing down his back. Yeah. I can make <laughs> a direct comparison here to playing music because if I'm heading into a gig and I'm feeling incredibly confident and we're going along and something goes very wrong with the singer that I'm playing for, the statistics are so high that that's going to fluster me and then I'm going to make an error because I'm so concerned about like the well-being of whoever I'm collaborating with. So you can't tell me that like the game was starting to really go south and then our friend Tommy, who's like on the big stage for like the first time really, like in terms of like the big stage, was like, oh, I don't want to contribute to this like nightmare dumpster fire that's starting to spin out in front of me. Anyway, playing piano. I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Yeah, no, I agree. That's fair. Dude's a rookie. <laughs> He's got a leg. He's got Cole quit now. He's going to learn. He's going to learn. Anyway, our boys in blue are back. The Kansas City Royals, what an off season, boys. What an off season. Up until about, I don't know, January, I'm like, well, I'm always excited for Royals baseball. Hopefully this year something magical <laughs> will happen and we won't just like chop ourselves off at the knees right out of the mm-hmm. gate. And lo and behold, hopefully I don't have to worry about that because we had some major moves in the offseason that might pay out immediate dividends. Oh, I thought you raised your hand. Oh, no, this this was a fingers crossed. This was like, oh. please, God, <laughs> let everything pan out that we need to pan out this year. I, I thought it was like, I'm like, that's a really weird way to raise his hand. I'm like, did he like have a nervous twitch <laughs> some, or like, something star, like that? Some Star Trek bull. <laughs> no, hell no. <laughs> anyway. So as we all know with the Kansas City Royals, the big talk has been trying to figure out a way just to rebuild this team after losing the skeleton of it post-2017. And they've done so over the last few years in the draft, particularly investing in pitching talent because as we know, our our pitching lineup wasn't even that great in 2015. It was just consistently good. You know, it was consistently good. So in 2018, we go and we draft the Fab Five. I'm, of course, talking about right-handed pitcher Brady Singer, right-handed pitcher Jackson Kowar, left-hand Daniel Lynch, left-hand Chris Bubich, and right-handed pitcher Jonathan Bolin. And it's crazy. It's crazy because we picked four of those guys in the first round. Brady Singer, round one, pick four. Kowar and Lynch, 33 and 34, respectively, and Chris Bubich, 40. Now, we bolster that in 2020 with our first pick being left-hand pitcher stud Ace Lacey, a fellow round one pick four guy. Now, I know some of the talk we've had is that, like, are we going to groom these guys? Is this just kind of like a shotgun of drafting pitchers, hoping that two, maybe three of them pan out to being major league starters? Are we just going to groom them to flip them for parts like we did with Lamb and Finnegan back in 2014, 2015? But we got a stable of young arms. What do you guys make of all these young arms? Listen, 
First of all, that is that is an underrated take that so many of these guys came out of the 2018 draft. I'm not hearing that enough in sort of like the bigger name, you know, Royals media that's out there. I think that's that's total that, that totally speaks to the long-term planning of this organization when it comes to like we all understand that as a small market team that put together um, a high-powered, shall we say, uh like gutsy, not flashy offense paired with consistent pitching, like you said, to get to the 2013 run to almost the playoffs to the miracle run in 2014 to the championship in 2015. We all understood that coming back for the swan songs of all of these perspective uh, of all of these uh, deified, you know, it's it's like Kansas City royalty for sure. And so we all understood that, like, because because we can't just pay out like it's that's what it's going to be. Right. Um, but the fact that all, all these guys came out of the 2018 draft just speaks volumes to the fact that this office was ready to say, okay, we're about to get ready for the future. And that has to do with bolstering pitching, which is make no mistake. It is the most expensive part of baseball when it comes to value and free agency, consistent top notch major league level starting pitching every game is the most valuable part of the game. You can, yeah, I mean, you can show me Aaron judge and Stanton on the Yankees or, or whatever. Like, like you can try to pitch me, huh? No pun intended offense all day, right? Hitting all day, but absolutely not when it comes to like dollar value, it's pitching. And so the fact that they oriented this, uh, rebuild around bolstering our starting pitching through drafting in the minor leagues process. Still, obviously, willing as we'll get into to trade away assets as necessary, but like that, that's the core of like what we build through the system. And then we start signing guys on top of that. Perfect. Yeah, I got a couple things. If, if Bubich, Singer, Asa Lacey as like a relief pitcher or in the rotation and Daniel Lynch in the rotation in 2022. Like if that is an actual thing and we are competitive to like win playoff series with those four, then yeah, Dane Moore becomes like Brett Veach mountaintop type because to get all that in the farm system and to grow it would be freaking amazing. And that, that is kind of like best case scenario and for all that to happen and we're still able to get rid of Khalil Lee. It's amazing. Uh, two, it's also important for us to like realize that baseball's changing in the way that there isn't like four starting pitchers anymore. There's just so many different types of styles right you might have some a pitcher come in and pitch four innings but then you might have six different pitchers in one game and that's normal now like that's a normal thing so for us to have more in the depth chart more that are coming in i mean it's a beautiful thing to watch as a royals fan love it crossing the fingers it works out well to your point wasn't it uh wasn't tampa bay that was rolling out the idea of having an opener that would pitch like an inning or an inning and a half (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, wild. I Bizar- mean, yeah, base, baseball changes every season. And yeah, you're the perfect example of that's like a winning style, which is ridiculous. Well, we steal Wade Davis from them and they're like, we have to make our own opening Wade Davis. Well, sorry, but, Kyle, I interrupted. No, it's saying? fine. But, but to, to kind of second that. That's some anime bull right there. To, to second that idea of Kansas City innovating an idea that's changing the face of the league. Like, you know, the question in baseball for the entire like 140 year history of the sport as a professional sport in America has been how can smaller markets compete? 
And obviously a more recent example of that is absolutely is Tampa Bay revolutionizing the opener. That's super interesting. And like from a total like money ball perspective, yeah, totally valid. Like it's it's kind of shocking that nobody tried that sooner. And, and so to Armando's point, we're going to see a lot of that because our bullpen is going to be filled with former starters looking at you, Ian Kennedy and Danny Duffy, uh, who are going to see more appearances in relief. But even beyond that, the the point I want to bring up is, do y'all remember? Like, I mean, it's it's canon at this point, but that like Sports Illustrated thing about the Houston Astros after they had lost like 100 plus games, like three seasons in a row, where like they were predicting that like the Houston Astros farm system is like the new way that you build a team in a smaller market. And, 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 yeah. and like they sort of foretold this like incredible rise of building the farm system from within. Well, I raise you that this that this way that Kansas City is building this team is like the next generation of that, like, you know, build the team from the bottom, like sacrifice, sacrifice, like lose 100 games a season every year for five years if you have to. I hope and believe that what we're going to see is a way to stay relevant with the, you know, aforementioned dips of being a small market team where like you can't just pay out for a playoff run every year. You can't just buy one. Looking at you, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ugh, can't stop thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> but like, like clearly, clearly knowing that, like I'm hopeful and I, I really do believe that this is the blueprint to be able to do that is is when it's time to rebuild, you invest in the pitching and you take the time that you need to foster that. And then when it's time to go, you start signing free agents and start building from there. Well, it'll be interesting to see how cyclical this winds up being, because if you remember, we're the ones that started that trend of like bet on your bullpen and close the game after the sixth inning. Because, I mean, even a year after we won the World Series, Cleveland tried to put together their bullpen. ESPN was all like, oh my gosh, Cleveland's bullpen's the best of all time. And they wound up blowing multiple leads in Game 7 of the World Series. Chalk that one up. Nobody beats HDH Part 2. But now, like you said, we seem to be doing this in the sense of, like, why don't we try and, like, build with starting pitching and not necessarily going out and trying to find Zach Granke. But we may have taken a page from the book of the Mets of 2015, if you remember, because their future is supposed to be built on the back of Syndergaard, Harvey, and DeGrom. Now, obviously, that didn't wind up panning out for him because we shattered Matt Harvey's soul. <laughs> and Syndergaard, turns out, you know, got karma for throwing at uh, Alcides Escobar's head. You know, so, I mean, nobody can account for that happening. But let's look at some of the pitches that we have had play so far from that Fab Five. As we know, last year in the COVID-shortened season, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich were called up, and it was it was pretty exciting to see what they had. And ultimately, I mean, given the circumstances, as much as you can read the tea leaves, they didn't have too terrible of seasons. Can I read you guys some stats real quick? Do it. So just just a quick cliff notes on Brady Singer. He was four and five with an ERA just over four. He was going approximately five and a third innings per outing. Eight home runs, 61 strikeouts, 23 walks. By and large, he was a pretty steady guy. He had about five innings, three earned runs generally, which, I mean, geez, you can't peg that in a rookie starting in a COVID season. He only really had one stinker of an outing. He had a 10-hit, five-earned run game against the White Sox. That was early, though. That was early. 
it was. Uh, Bubich, he's one you have to kind of look a little bit past the numbers and the analytics. He wasn't as favorable in the box scores. You'll see he had a 4.32 ERA. He was 1-6, in six and he had, went for approximately five innings per outing. But here's the thing. Although he had more variance in his outings than Singer did, four of his losses came in games where the Royals scored one or fewer runs. You can't really ask a guy to do literally everything on the team because let's just say hypothetically he splits those suddenly he's three and five and that's a lot different looking than one and six i remember denny having a lot to say about that where every time bubich would hit the mound the offense would just disappear also i have to issue an apology to ian kennedy because i forgot he wasn't on the team anymore but he's he's on the right he is a great example of Yeah, didn't work out, so head to the bullpen. It's fine, and 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 you know, I'm not I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Danny Duffy, but it does feel like that's a strong possibility. So all that to say, guys, who do you think is going to wind up being the standout with all these young guns we have in the farm system? I'm not saying who do you think is going to stay royal. Who are we going to you know trade for extra batters and parts? But who do you think? in those six pitchers is going to wind up being the standout. Um, I don't think we're going to see immediate return on Asa Lacey, although I think Asa Lacey is going to be the best out of them because Asa Lacey is huge. He like struck out 11 people in his very last game at Texas A&M. Uh, he's got a great sinker and a really good fastball at 97 miles per hour. I mean, he, he looks wonderful. And, and the way that he throws the ball is just massive. And I think that he has the most potential out of everyone. But I think like immediately, I think we're going to see the biggest jump from Singer this year. If we can get a big jump from Singer and Bubich for this year, then I think it'll kind of relax Ace Lacey into some sort of rotational role. Um, Daniel Lynch, it sounds like he's doing really good in in spring training. I'm hearing a ton of good stuff about Daniel Lynch. The fact that Daniel Lynch, Lynch was put on the game today against the Cubs, I mean, that's that's a big deal that he was called up. I forgot how many innings he actually pitched, but for him to be called up so young, I think there's a lot of good things that could happen to Daniel Lynch. I would love to see him in the rotation at the end of the year for this year, but I mean, I'm kind of thinking 2022 right now. That's kind of where my mind is as a Royals fan. Like this year is going to be great, but like 2022, let's go. Like let's go. And if we can get some of these young guys in rotational pieces, I would love that. But biggest person for this year, I need Brady Singer to be a solid starting pitcher number two, so that when we go in and we are talking playoffs, Singer's ready to roll. And it'd be great if Bubich would too. I'm gonna agree with that and say that Brady Singer is my favorite of that group of six that you just mentioned. Uh, I think part of that is just he was so icy in those, you know, he got his first start, I think, in that early Cleveland series and uh, at the beginning of that coronavirus season uh, last year. And like, you know, I mean, we finished that season with what, like 26 wins, I believe. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's such a young guy coming out of these lower level leagues and he still was able to just bring it every game. And, I think that experience is huge and hopefully will translate into this year. But I don't discount the possibility that a guy like Bubich or even like Jacob Junis um, or, or or honestly even Brad Keller or maybe a resurgence in Duffy, right? Like, le- like there could be any of these guys who could have a standout year this season. But I agree with Armando that the year we're looking at is 2022, right? To start. And 
this has sort of been a common refrain in Royals fandom lately, so I don't take credit for this idea, but the idea that when we started to be competitive in 2013 came as a result of when we started to pair the farm system with free agent signings like Ben Attendee. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that's a blueprint. And um, I mean, I love Singer, but but again, like, you know, any of these guys could step up and just start to really bring it. It's a totally, it's a different world. You know, there's like no fans in most of these stadiums, you know, for good reason early on. But, you know, it's it's a totally different world out there. So we'll see what happens. Well, we'll just have to wait and see with all of these young guys who winds up panning out, which cream rises to the top, and who winds up being a casualty to bring in some more players for us. Ooh, sorry. One more thing. Uh, one of you guys touched on this, maybe Armando. Is is the era of the ace dead? Because it feels like it might be because, honestly, everything that we're discussing, like if you look at the Dodgers, which are the ultimate example of like loading up with incredible talent from within paired with like crazy free agent signings, like in every offseason, trying to get there, trying to get there, trying to get there. And, you know, Kershaw has finally like banished the demons, right? Like he finally got that ring. I just I, I just wonder, though, because like, you know, when you think of like like an ace locking down a playoff series, right? Like it just doesn't, it just never works that way. You know, you, you always need a deep starting rotation to, to make it through a series. And I wonder if because baseball is going in this direction with a lot of kind of malleable up and down bullpen assignments, whether the era of just having like three guys who always start in the playoffs is, is gone. I mean, it very well could be, and especially as teams are focused more on defensive-minded baseball and pitching, especially in the fact that, you know, they've let it be known this year they're going to be unjuicing the ball, so we'll be seeing fewer home runs. You know, that can affect teams like the Twins, the White Sox, and other bandbox stadium squads. And the Yankees. Well, I mean, and the Yankees. So I think we'll just have to wait and see on that and see where pitching and baseball goes. segment of the podcast and that is saison two of beer reviews uh oh, love it reese wow. why don't you wow. uh reese why don't you tell us what you're sipping on tonight tank tank 39 kyle <laughs> 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 um so this evening i have a very fun beer from a very fun brewery i've said this before you guys got to come back to kansas city and check out city barrel with me because they're doing some good stuff uh love this one this one is called Cult Following. It is a sour raspberry apricot double IPA. What so, the f- yep. It's uh it's pretty awesome. It's got a blend of uh different hops in there including uh NHZ 107. You got to love those experimental hops, baby. Ooh. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. But I'm looking forward to it. I know that's a lot of adjectives in there, and, you know, beer purists are probably turning up their nose to that. But life's too short, baby. Drink the beer while you're here. Absolutely. Why don't you pour that out and uh, give us an aroma? I got so animated talking just now, I'm afraid I shook the beer up and it's going to explode everywhere. 
Hey, what do you know? We survived. The magic touch. All right. Man, right away, it's a double whammy aroma. Obviously, being a Southern Hemisphere hop varietal, you're getting a lot of those tropical notes in there. A lot of that kiwi, a lot of that mango, that papaya, all those delicious tropical fruits. You also definitely smell the notes of the sour raspberry and the apricot on the nose as well. It's not sickeningly sweet. uh, Reese, is it supposed to have those actual fruits in it or are those just flavors from the experimental hop? Those are just flavors from the experimental hops that uh, wow. you tend to get. Yeah, so interesting. It's, uh, yeah, you get those bad boys in there. Uh, I'm also. This is funny. The can mentions smelling Mexican vanilla. I am getting Mexican vanilla. I think that's like the mystery dum dum flavor. I couldn't figure out. So <laughs> I was to say, how do you know what that? How do you know what Mexican vanilla smells like? Someone get this man on marketing for Starburst. This is great. <laughs> yeah, dude. French vanilla is so 2005. We're on Mexican vanilla now. I say, wearing my Pachuca jersey, long live Pachuca. Absolutely. No wins through nine games. Rough. Pour pour one out. They might not have a win, but the aroma on this beer is a win. With its unique scents and welcoming tropical notes, I'm going to give aroma on this an 8.4. Absolutely. I'll be sure to send this episode to a friend of the podcast, Luvi. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's not really a Pachuca fan, but we can all appreciate bad soccer but only for a limited time like they'll be back it'll be fine absolutely no i do not have a t-grace jersey sitting just below my stool right now who told you that i I mean it's a great team right now so anyway all right take us through the appearance this is a really unique colored beer uh (laughs) i mean i i hate to be like well dodoy but it's an apricot in color you know, it's most IPAs kind of have that golden rod, you know, clear honey color, but this is definitely it looks like sunburnt honey. That's what it is. If if honey had like skin cells and was outside just like chilling, drinking too many of these, that's what it looks like. Uh it's semi-translucent, not hazy enough to be a hazy IPA, but still too uh opaque to be a traditional you know like west coast looking ipa did you you say this was a double ipa or a single uh it is a double ipa oh okay yeah so i I guess some double ipas do got a bit more haze to them when i poured it out it had about an inch of head on there uh kind of a medium density head it has since retreated and i'm left with just a few bubbles hanging out in the top uh, a lot of carbonation action going on in the glass itself. All things considered, much like the smell, it's a very unique color. And you know what? I'm going to give it an 8.3 again. Oh, yeah. 8.3. Nice. Uh, strong marks so far for this beer. Uh, how about flavor? Oh, man. That's pretty fun. <laughs> That's pretty fun. I got to take a second sip before I say anything. It's too fun. You know, this is a very unique beer. This is a very unique beer, and one thing City Braille does very well is they're not afraid to put out unique small batch beers like this, particularly IPAs. They don't shy away from it. I do get some hop notes on here, but it's like I've never had an IPA where I don't get like bitter hop notes from it or like a lot of grassy hop notes from it. It's it's almost closer to like 
a sour that's been dry hopped, if that makes any sense. Oh, sure. Those are fighting words, dude. Well, I mean, that's kind of the best way to describe it because it is it is sour. It, it's a little bit more sour than it is bitter. You definitely get the raspberry notes. You get the apricot notes. I'm actually very proud of the apricot. It doesn't taste like a bunch of fake, you know, like truly peach ring apricot. It tastes it tastes like a dried apricot. I, I pick up that Mexican vanilla, and I'm so glad I saw that on the can, because I would be just sitting here scratching my head, being like, what is this mystery flavor? Yeah. <laughs> what is that eighth flavor or whatever? But, you know, much like the rug and Big Lebowski, it really ties the beer together. You got some sour, you got some sweet. God, that has to be uh, like your fifth Lebowski reference of this podcast. Like season two, just bringing it. <laughs> we like just started. Coen Brothers number five. Doesn't even matter. We'll go to some breweries in Fargo and bring back some beer. Uh, Armando, what was your question? What was the hop number again? I want to look it up. NHZ107. It says it's a New Zealand blend. Ooh. You know what other hop is from New Zealand? Oh, uh, your, your Nelson. Your Lord Nelson hop or whatever it is. Yeah, Nelson. There you go. Nelson's from New Zealand. Yeah. Lord Nelson. Well, all that being said, flavor on this, it's fun. It's unique. Guess what? Let's just keep rolling. 8.3. Wow. It's a third 8.3. More It's eights. almost like blam, you blam, dropped blam. 83 points on Jalen Rose or, some, you know, I mean, within two. Close. Hey-o. 81, but yeah, it's good. Thank you for referring to Kobe. That's great, dude. You could say that Kobe has a cult following. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I like that one. I wonder if William H. Macy would come on this podcast. I bet he would. Uh, okay, how about mouthfeel? You know, it's definitely got a bit of a heavier mouthfeel than you would think. Or maybe not, considering all the different flavors crammed into this beer. Definitely on the heavy side for an IPA. The only IPA off the top of my head, like non-hazy IPA off the top of my head, I can think of that outweighs this bad boy in the mouth is Boulevard just put out a Kvike IPA. That's what? like the most dense IPA. I'll, I'll, I'll bring some of that in a crowler and review that in the show sometime. Did but you did you just say Kvike? Kvike. It's a, it's a super unique style of IPA that like really nobody's doing, so I think we're trying to hop on it before anybody else gets on it. Explain. I'm curious. Well, now's not the time to explain the Kvike IPA because I got cold following right in front of me right now. But uh, You can't just... You know, let's go. Saison two. Then- no, no, no. Saison <laughs> two. Stand on topic. I love it. Take us through that mouthfeel rating, Reese. You get bitterness on the sides of the tongue, but again, it's it's difficult to tell how much of that is from the hop and how much of that is the fact that it is a sour raspberry apricot IPA. You know, chicken or the egg in these regards. It's got a bit of carbonation on there. A little bit heavier of a mouthfeel. All things considered. I'm going to roll this one down to just a solid eight. Okay. The first dip below 8.3. Now, finally, how about aftertaste? This is really interesting. This has to be one of the more two-sided coin beers I've reviewed on the podcast, mainly in that you get, like I said, sour beer going down, but coming back up. And the longer it sits is when I'm starting to get a little bit more of the piney, dank notes from the hop. And subsequently, again, Mexican Vanilla comes to party. This episode is brought to you by Mexican Vanilla. (laughs) Mexican Vanilla, it ties your beer together. 
and I hope uh, it gives us money. Just like a general commodity somehow gives us money. <laughs> looking at you, Coca-Cola, Mexico, looking at you. You know, like I said, there's a lot going on in this beer. It's really unique. I don't think I've ever had a beer like this before. All that being said, I do like the danker, earthier aftertaste to balance out the sweet and sourness going down. So I'm going to give aftertaste on this actually an 8.8. Nice. To tie this all together, um, a great review as always, Reese, but how about you assign us an HDEQ, a Hunter Dozier extension quotient? Oh my gosh. You're always dealing those, Kyle. A Hunter Dozier extension quotient on this beer. I like when can art represents can life. And the can art on this is a sketch of a theater. Like, you know, what you would go to see either Rocky Horror Picture Show back when you are in college. Or what's that theater in uh, Lawrence that you love so much, Kyle? Liberty. Yeah, Liberty Hall. It's like Liberty Hall. And, you know, this beer is like the personification of going to watch Rocky Horror Picture Show or seeing Bubba Hotep or seeing those weird indie films pardon me, that have a cult following. So subsequently, I like the fact that this beer ties together the flavor, the can art, and the whole experience. This is truly a fourth dimensional beer. BDQ on this is going to be a 9.2. That's amazing. Holy An HDEQ of 9.2. Yes, uh, sir. I am actually just curious. Can you hold up that can art to the camera for yes, us at home? Absolutely. Oh, cool! Yeah, I mean I, that's totally um, oh in the movie theater, like right? uh, varsity theater in Des Moines, like old school, um, yeah, kind of movie marquee type like, thing. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Watching like that. Pulp Fiction at Alamo Drafthouse. Did, did you ever go to the old movie theater in Herkimer when you were Glimmer Glass, Kyle? I never did, although we did know about it. I never went. I went and saw a uh, X Men Apocalypse there, and dude. Uh-huh. The experience of the theater was much better than the movie itself. Yeah, I also saw X-Men Apocalypse in a terrible... Or, sorry, I saw that terrible movie in a great theater. It it was cool. It was like a 1970s theater stuck in time. Not that they had preserved it, just that they were like, hey, there's no need to update this, so like, let's just keep operating it. (laughs) And it's like, great, fantastic. It's Herkimer. It's Herkimer. Oh. Shout out to... I want to be on, like, the the tourism board for a bunch of those small New York towns, because you can basically, you can be kind of like shady about it and be like, nah, why not? It's Herkimer. And yet, because (laughs) all those towns have so much history, it's like, it's kind of true. It's like, nah, why not Utica? Well, it's like, actually, why not Utica? You can kind of be sarcastic and serious at the same time. That's not something you can do with like the state of Indiana. There's still another half to the game of baseball, and that, my friends, is batting. And on December 8th, the Royals added a veteran, respectable bat to the squad. They acquired Carlos Santana on a two-year, $17.5 million deal. What do you guys see Santana adding to this ball club right out the gate? Listen, he hit us to sh- in that Rona season last year, and he was great. So... I'm just going off of that and like, I mean, because these seasons are so close together, uh, you know, like welcome, you know, I mean, this is just a couple months removed from that and he was playing great. 
uh, last fall when they, you know, last summer and last fall when they did the restart. So I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, Carlos Santana has been has been good his whole career. I mean, even before the 2020 season in 2019, he was still having over 100 hits per season, almost 100 RBIs in 2019 with 93. And not only that, but we get another veteran presence on the team. I mean, him, Salvi, Wit. I mean, having that core of of veterans for a team that is looking to be to be in playoff contention is is huge, and it's something understated with him. Um, not only that, but also his he he's a great defensive player. Um, first base was not our greatest strong suit so finally having a consistent first baseman there for the Royals is huge right because we don't have to keep rotating people in we have more luxury to put people in different places which is kind of a big deal especially for the Royals who kind of pride themselves on defense Um, so love Carlos Santana I agree like you said he's a great signing Uh, there's some really interesting stats on him so fun fact uh, last year, the Royals had a .309 OBS, which was the fourth worst in the majors. Santana's career OBS is .366. That's wild. One of my other wild. one of my other favorite stats on the dude. He had 47 walks last year in the COVID shortened season. Only three Royals had more than 47 walks in a full 162 game season. So I think what we're seeing right off the bat is we're seeing a guy who can get us on base. I think he's really going to flesh out that lineup. We're probably going to put him in the top half of the order, obviously, and he's going to be getting yeah, on. I'll probably put him three. He's going to get us on base. He's going to drive runs in. It's really what we need. I mean, some other things he brings, he's got World Series experience, obviously. Cleveland was no stranger to the playoffs in that run in the late 2010s. And as I mentioned, they had that World Series appearance back in 2016. But not only is he going to bring things on the field with his bat, I'm excited because he has mentioned that he wants to mentor our younger talent, particularly guys like Alberto Mondesi and Jorge Soler. He said, I want to try and help out a couple guys like Mondesi and Soler, and I try to talk to the guys on my team about patient. Try to be patient at the plate. And, you know, we've seen Soler take that step forward. Now he's like a legitimate major league master of the ball, but we're still waiting for that batting consistency from Adalberto Mondesi. And listen, those two guys were different sides of the same coin in in last year's uh, COVID-shortened season because Mondesi struggled with offensive consistency as we, you know, spoke about at length. But Soler played hurt. Like, like he played through that side injury for most of the season, right? And, and so the fact that, honestly, both of those guys, first of all, Mondesi was able to get through those issues and, like, produce even in a, in a 60-game season, which was impressive uh, given the circumstances. And Soler was able to play through injury. But there has to be – I mean, it's got to be amazing if those guys wind up being able to learn from Santana. Hot Take Mondo here has a hot take for you. He has to have one every episode. Hot Take Mondo, Mondesi, this is your last year. You put up or shut up. I'm sorry. We've had too many seasons of Mondesi being hot and cold. In the beginning of the season, it's always like, where is Mondesi? And then at the end of the season, it's like, oh, I don't I don't want to get fired or traded here. I'm going to start being amazing. And he's always great at that at the back half of the season. Now that we have more pieces in place, he can't do that anymore. Either he has to be consistently good or consistently bad. And if he's bad, goodbye. This is it. This is it for Montessi. If he doesn't show us in this season, get rid of him. 
You know, I, I unfortunately agree with you on that one. It's, it's getting to the point where, again, he's not young, but he's going to start entering his prime, and maybe we can flip him for a reclamation project sort of deal, you know, if it comes to that. Hopefully it doesn't. I want Mondesi to be royal for a long time. Yeah, I like yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, a ton of potential, a ton of talent, but he's been given everything. He's He's been given great training. He has a lot of skill. He just hasn't been able to be consistent. And if you can't, I'm sorry, we're, we're trying to move on. Well, uh, speaking of consistency, things got really juicy in February as on top of the Carlos Santana signing, we had a major acquisition of our friend Andrew Benintendi, a.k.a. What? Super Nintendi. Lock that down. What? Trademark that. What? Dude, I, I, I could not believe that. Uh, a friend of the, my friend of the podcast, Gideon, uh, sent me a message, and he's a huge diehard Yankees fan. He's like, thanks for getting that son of a gun out of the division for me. Uh, so <laughs> I'm super excited. We got him on a two-year, $10 million deal, which is steal part one of this. Part two, he he's owed $6.6 million in 2021. Boston is sending us $2.8 million to help cover that. Love it, and on love top it. of that, we only had to lose... For major prospects, we lost our outfield prospect, Khalil Lee, to the Mets, and another outfield prospect, Franchi Cordero, plus two picks to be determined to the Red Sox. Ah, R.I.P. Ah. Well, okay, so first off, do you think we're going to miss no, Lee? It's fine, it's fine, it's you, fine. You, you don't think we're going to miss Lee and Cordero that much? I mean, it's fine, it just makes me sad. I mean, obviously, yeah, what do you think, Armando? Frenchie Cordero and Andrew Benintendi are the same age. We got <laughs> the like the same amount of talent, right? So so we traded a prospect for an all-star or potential all-star in Andrew Benintendi, and we're not losing anything in age, right? They're the exact same age. It's a steal. It's a steal. Fine. Goodbye, Frenchie. Are you guys ready for a fire take? Uh, bring the fire. Bring the heat. We are entering the greatest... <laughs> era of parody in major league baseball when you take the dodgers away <laughs> oh so I, I suppose that uh it's true that 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 totally uh negates the idea of parody right but like when you take the dodgers out of the equation the rest of major league baseball is crazy competitive think of every division think of our division i know we're going to get to our predictions at the end of the cast but like i mean Every team is competitive. It really is. Like you think about like the NL Central. I know the Cardinals are, you know, projected to win the division. But like, are you really trying to tell me you're going to count out the Cubs in that division? You're going to count out the Brewers to be competitive? Yeah. And and I mean, those are just the teams that are near us, right? I hear your friend when it says like, just get Ben attendee. Like he can hit, he can defend. Great. Like just get him out of the division because that is honestly, that's the era we live in that every team can beat you in a multitude of different ways. That's why I think it's amazing that we stole Santana from the Indians because we're going to play Cleveland quite a bit. And so great. Why not? Why not have him, uh, you know, playing against his old club? Well, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. And thankfully we have plenty of weeks of spring training to unpack that fact. Personally, I don't think right now we're going to miss Lee or uh, Cordero the way Armando mentioned because, like you said, they're the same age, 
but we have a 20-something-year-old who can play versus a 20-something-year-old that might wind up playing really well. Bingo. You know, it's funny being on the opposite, being on the opposite end of that trade for the first time, because I've bemoaned to you guys even last year when we traded Rosenthal for who was it, uh, Olivares, and I think we got one other player in that package deal. But it feels like for the better part of the last six years, the Royals' prerogative has been like trade this proven commodity major league level starter for like a lottery pick and a few scraps that might wind up being rotational players it's let me apologize for my take there sorry to interrupt you uh just because i uh (laughs) i was a total prisoner of the moment of that because i like trevor rosenthal and i you know my dad's a huge cardinals fan right and so i've been like watching rosenthal for years and so like the whole like him and Matheny thing i was like totally suckered into that but looking back Great idea. Flip him. He was pitching well, but he's like old, right? At least in baseball years. So flip him for some other commodities. That's great. Yeah. And and even like the Rosenthal thing, it's like, I I would like to trade a Trevor Rosenthal veteran closer for a Carlos Santana veteran hitter. That to me is a fair trade or at least like a high level prospect. But those never uh, happen though, Reese. That's the thing. Those never happen. Oh, ex- excuse me. Uh San Diego line 1. Yeah, we'll trade you Strom for these three washed up scrubs and oh my. <laughs> They're the only team I know that wins every freaking trade and I don't know who they owe their soul to, but it seems like oh yeah, uh we'll give you Mookie. No, no. Screw that. They've got the they've got Major League Baseball on MLB the show 2K15, dude, in terms of like trades and forcing trades. It's disgusting, and I am green with jealousy. I mean, okay, I I hear you on that, Reese, but I just need you to temper that a little bit and understand that they are our small market brothers, and I respect them. The only temper I have right now is this fury of how happy I am that we signed Andrew Benintendi. He is, <laughs> he is arguably, paired with Carlos Santana, our biggest offseason acquisition since the Shields-Davis trade of late 2012. Yeah, I, I think that's I mean, fair. If not better. It, it's insane. He's bringing more OBS just like Santana. He's, I mean, he's young, but he's got a career 353. A lot of his career stats, which he was called up to the major leagues around the same time as Whit Merrifield. It, it, Whit Merrifield and Ben Attendee are doing the Spider-Man point meme right now, dude. It's like both of them <laughs> extra base hits. Both of them great fielders and defenders. Both of them great bats. And not to mention... In 39 plate appearances at Kauffman Stadium, Ben Attendee has lit it up, slashing 485, 564, and 848. Are you guys as excited about Super Ben Attendee registered trademark as I am? Yeah, the uh, Ben Attendee trade tells me two things about the Royals. One, we're finally trying to win. Getting Ben Attendee tells us that the new ownership, we're, we're... we're not just trying to, oh, we're going to be better next year. Or, you know what? This is a great group of young players. We have potential in two years. No, they're saying right now we're putting pieces in place for that 2022 season. So it's a different mindset in Kansas City, more so in the front office that we haven't seen before. So wonderful as a Kansas City fan, right? That we're not just waiting. We're not just waiting every single year. And then, too, like you said, what's actually really 
interesting about Andrew Benintendi and the reason why we got him so cheap is because he was having issues with the Boston Red Sox having issues with the ball club with the managers they were telling me how to lose weight he didn't like all the things that were going on in Boston um, so that really brought his value down but it didn't change who he was as a player like if you look at his 2020 2019 stat 2019 stats not great but honestly they are synonymous with the troubles that he was having on that team so if you look at his 2017 and 2018 when he came into the league what some of the best young stats you'll see right he was in contention for al rookie of the year in 2017 an excellent player if we can get those 2017 numbers which i think we can because he's in a whole new situation veteran presence i mean he's probably going to be batting second like that dude can hit I wouldn't say he's a power hitter, but he can literally hit from anywhere. If you look at any of his highlights, he's just trying to hit the freaking ball, which is what we need. So love it. Huge. It could be the biggest trade in Royals history. Oh, man, that's pure. Just like uncut, uncensored hot take Mondo right there. I love it. I love it. And like you mentioned some other things, dude, the dude was a gold glove finalist in 2018 and 2019. And we're going to plug him right into left field, missing the veteran presence of Alex Gordon. So it's kind of like, this is really going to help soften that blow, man. We don't have to worry about the left field line of Kaufman. It's big. That's huge. I'm going to temper Armando's hot take a little bit and say that like, we'll see. But I also appreciate like the best case scenario, like this is fire. This is the thing that like puts us on the road to the World Series. So oh, totally. I don't really want to take it back that much. So you're you're great. <laughs> I love it. You you can try, but I'm still super sane, as the anime kids say. Dude, he's <laughs> he's super sane in the membrane. So I guess my <laughs> next question for you guys is with these acquisitions, and we haven't even gotten to the recent signings of Hunter Dozier, the return of Gerard Dyson, Wade Davis being signed to the minor league deal, looking like he's probably getting a spot in the bullpen. All these things considered, what do we make of the Royals' rebuild plan and the timetable given these moves? Do you think it's a sign that they've kind of changed the course partially because John Sher- excuse me, uh, partially because Sherman has taken over in the front office and he wants to see them win? Or do you think this was the plan all along? No, I think this is the result of the back end of the post-World Series hangover contracts being finally gone. You know, we renewed uh, Alex Gordon. We uh, signed Ian Kennedy to that bloated contract, right? You know, the final two sort of last uh, vestiges of that era in Gordon and Kennedy were up at the end of last season contract wise so honestly this is where we go from there and i think this was always the plan right like of course post world series yeah you're tempted to go with the guys who have both become like team heroes like all these guys will be remembered forever like we all remember where we were when when we watched these games right like they they are heroes for the organization so of course you're going to want to like get them what they have earned because they brought you a ring, right? So like these these contracts and like renewing these guys, I get it, right? And so for a small market team without unlimited funds, that's going to mean some sacrifice in terms of competitivity, <laughs> competitiveness uh, in the near term. But I make no mistake, this was always the plan, right? Like once that's done, which now it is in 2021, 
it's time to just reload. Hot Tech Mondo, your thoughts? I'm going to disagree with Kyle there. I I see a big difference between Sherman and the uh, the uh, Glass Flam family. Now I also have some ties to Sherman. I will say that before I say my take. Sherman, uh, John John Sherman and I were both parishioners at Visitation Church, and I uh, so John would hear me every week actually when I was singing in the choir there, which is pretty cool. Are you serious? But yeah, no, for real. He's he, he's a parishioner at uh, Visitation, so that's pretty dope. I mean, not that I've met John, but like John's been a parishioner at at visitation for years. Well, he's obviously on a first name basis with you because you're calling him John. Oh yeah, me and me and me and John go way back, man. No, but okay. So what? The reason why I say all this is get this man on the podcast. I, and also, where do you possibly disagree with me? Okay, that that's what's where I'm going to come in from. We did not see moves like this coming. Right. This came out of nowhere for everyone as a Royals fan. We weren't expecting stuff like this, even to Kyle's point. Like Kyle said, if you're a small market team, you have to sacrifice acquisitions. You have to sacrifice trades that we just saw. Right. So Sherman is kind of um, going against the norm of the small market teams of we have to grow players like, yes, we are growing our pitching, but what we needed the most and what we've talked about before is is our heavy hitters, right? We had great defense in 2020 and 2019, but we did not have the bats, right? Nick, Nicky Lopez, where are you? You know, all these guys who were touted to be these great hitters that are good defensive players, but not great hitters. So I think the Sherman family has really made it a point to make splashes that we have not seen. So I don't think this was in the blueprint at all. At all. As a Royals fan, this came out of nowhere. Nowhere. I'm inclined to agree with Armando on this one. If we're going to go by the deals that were made post-2015 during the glass era, you saw bloated contracts and extensions of players that were either high risk or probably over the hill. I mean, we're talking about re-signing Alex Gordon for five years, 70 plus million dollars, who was in his early 30s at that point. A very similar deal going to a Tommy John's to Ian Kennedy that both of those beyond blew up in our face. And then you look at some other things too, you know, like trying to sign those older relievers, all of which I'm not going to go through naming from the San Diego Padres, but you saw moves made to try and kind of extend the glory of 2015 as opposed to ever committing to a rebuild. And that's where I was saying earlier, we were trading veteran proven commodities and just kind of getting like rotational, you know, you might eventually be major league players in return. And that's what was so frustrating with the glass era is that it never seemed like they were ever in it to win it. Whereas Sherman's coming here and I almost feel like he's seen all those young arms and he said, so here's the deal. You want to see if those guys pan out in the next few years and, they, and like three or four of them become starting studs by 2023. What if we got some decent hitters to put around them? So if they get good early, we're good now. That's what I'm most excited about from this year and from this new era of John Sherman. I feel like both of you guys just agreed with me while claiming to disagree with me because I agree with that. What? Go on. I just don't think it particularly has to do with administration, right? Because <laughs> all of this has to do with money. And, and money you have available. So I'll hear you that like, yes, the Glass administration wanted to prolong the glory, but that's also what I said, right? Because that's that's what you do after you win a World Series. You try to just ride the train. And that's what everybody does. That's, that's what the Royals did. That's what every organization does. 
and and now what we're seeing like for sure i'll i'll say the uh like the sherman administration needing to prove itself probably accelerated the riskiness of these deals so i'll give you guys that but i think we agree on the fact that like what we're seeing is like a way out of the dip beyond the back end of the former contracts coming off of our world series sure but what's tricky though is as i as i mentioned with some other dudes they had young players they decided to trade away to try and extend the glory years more and you know i i mentioned strom being a, a key candidate yeah. of that yeah or i mean that dude would be our closer tomorrow if he was still here yep. and subsequently they had multiple opportunities to get out of the ian kennedy deal by dealing him back when he seemed to be a decent middle reliever setup sort of dude they never did even though we had no intention of competing and subsequently the wheels fell off in his final year we had no chance of doing anything with yes that. and and th- those kind of decisions i'll give you our glass versus sherman but when it comes to like the natural like wax and wane of small market teams i think we can all agree that like this is what happens to like kansas city when we like put it together win the series and then it's like the hangover for a few seasons I mean, technically, we're, we're we we will never know whether Glass would have signed Benintendi. I guess in an alternate reality, oh, there's no way. I he just would personally have. think that 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 the Glass family would have done. I don't think. Yeah, they would yeah. Have done it. I'll give you that for sure. No way. And another thing with Sherman, you got to remember is that like he was basically the right hand man of the owner of the Indians during all those glory years. So he knows how much tread is still on the tires of Carlos Santana. I didn't this think isn't that. going out there and just getting a name for namesake. Like when we signed Cabrera in 2017, this is like, I don't care what he did last year. Let's just forget the fact there was a world pandemic and baseball got started super late and nobody wanted to play it. He's like, this dude still rakes. Yep. Man, I'm fired up and ready for some baseball. I'm ready. So last but not least, with these exceptional deals going on and bringing in this talent that suddenly has just like lit the circuit board up, can this team compete in the AL Central this year? What are your expectations for finishing and what do you think our record will be? Now, I'm not saying we got to go out and like, suddenly, guys, we acquired so much talent that we're going to go straight to the top of the AL Central. But realistically, with this team in a much better place than it was even two months ago, what are your expectations in 2021 for the Kansas City Royals? I'll go first. Uh, I absolutely expect and I think our basement should be a 20 game win loss differential. So I think 71 and 91 should be our basement because we have the talent and we saw like your question, like, can we compete in the AL central? Sorry, I'm not trying to mock you. That's not what I think you sound like. <laughs> that of course. sure uh, sounded like yeah, that's sorry. what I did. <laughs> but, but that is, that is your voice when you're trying to be like, hmm, I don't know. The answer is Yes. We absolutely like like you just gave us the stat about all these one run, one run games in, in in this COVID shortened season, right? Like we finished twenty six and thirty four, and we very easily could have finished you know thirty five and twenty five, no no question. And I mean, we just spent a whole podcast talking about acquisition of talent, consolidation of talent who has come up through the system, like. We can absolutely compete in the AL Central. That's why I say our basement should be 71 and 91. And our base, our, 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 our ceiling, our best case scenario, we compete for a wild card spot. 
Yeah, I okay. I I actually agree with Kyle. Yeah, we should be an above seventy win team. Um, but I still think the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins are better than our roster right now, I agree. and just a more cohesive team. Because again. Even going back to the beginning of this podcast, we were talking about all the things that have to be done that weren't done last year, particularly for our starting pitchers. Like, unfortunately, a lot of things have to go our way. <laughs> like, you know, Singer has to be better. Bubich has to be better. Keller has to be better. Mondesi has to be better. Solaire also has to be better. Benintendi has to be better than he was last season, right? So those are already six guys that need to be better than they were last year. Now, this all can happen. It's likely that it will happen. There's just a lot of you know, it, nothing is really sure on this team, which is okay. It, it makes it exciting, but that also doesn't put us above the twins. It doesn't put us above the White Sox, but we should be very close. Like I was saying, we should be very close. We are a wild card team right now. If we are anything lower than, than third place, I think we're in big trouble. Yep. I think I agree. Well, I don't say I think. I know I agree with what you guys are saying on this. I mean, Kyle, you predicted 71 wins. Uh, I think you ought to work for Piccata because they had us right at 71 wins. The thing for me is that I agree with you that the Twins in Chicago probably have, well, I mean, they do have better lineups on paper right now. Particularly, their pitching is more established than ours is, obviously. But they're not predicted to just, like, shatter wins here. Minnesota's predicted 90 wins, Cleveland at 86, and Chicago at 83. Now, I don't see any reason why for a good successful season, we can't be right up there in that 80 column going right about 500 because none of those teams above us in these Piccata standings have like made any moves since the standings came out the way we have. Agreed. So if anything... I, I think, why don't we say let's lop two wins off everybody else and put two wins on us? So we got Minnesota at 88, Cleveland at 84, Chicago at 81, and us at 73. I think we're closer to a 73-77 win team. Now, now, uh, Reese, now, Reese, if you really want to get fiery, if we just say those two wins are all against us, that we just give us six wins. Well, I, that's a very good point. My math is wrong. That's, that's fuzzy <laughs> math. Yeah, so that should be about a 77 win team. Yeah. I don't I'm not as high on Cleveland as Picada seems to, particularly because they got rid of a lot of that good core. I know they They got some young guys in return, but I am not that afraid of them. Armando, I see you chomping to the bit to say something. Well, also, um, we we don't need to go into detail about this story, but there's a lot coming out about Terry Francona with with the Boston Red Sox and some scandals that are coming out there. So his... uh, his position may be in jeopardy and like you said cleveland is already seems to be imploding and i think this story is about to get a little bigger so keep an eye on that and how that affects the indians i mean that that definitely plays into it some other things like i alluded to earlier the mlb has come out and said they are going to unjuice the balls this year so for home run dependent teams like minnesota and chicago all we're trying to do is get on base and have good pitching. They've lived by the home run, died by the home run. That's a good point. So, again, I'm not saying this year is like second or even first in the AL Central or bust, but all I'm really asking is that we don't turn around in the middle of May. We're 9-27. and 27. I mean, season's over at that point. And if we are like within striking distance of the second wild card entering the final month of the year... I will be ex- 
Static. Uh, yes, and what's what's going to be really important is that we have to have emphatic wins against the Indians, against the Tigers as well. And who's to say that we're not going to win a few series against the White Sox and the Minnesota Twins? So if we are able in our division to start beating them in big series, I think that's going to be huge for us. And this first month, we do have a few matchups in the beginning of the season that is really going to tell what this Royals team is. I greatly agree with you there. I think the big thing is there's no longer a huge shortage of talent on this team at any position. I just think a big thing is going to be, can we get our team to play consistent? Can we get people to like play up to their level you know up to their war ratings just enough throughout the entire season no big 27 game hitting slumps for Mondesi you know no five start stretch where Singer gets lit up for six and a half ERA we just need everybody to come out and play consistent ball through the season and I think it'll pay off big agreed good point all right, guys. Well, we are running out of time in this podcast. We have so much more about this offseason to talk about in spring training to dissect in the coming weeks before our April 1st live stream. Are there any last words you guys want to say on this episode? Let's play some baseball. Mondesi, we're watching you. We're watching. <laughs> We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM. There you'll find premium content, including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Fountain City SM to get updates on the podcast, sports, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friends Kyle and Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 